Welcome. <laughs> I am so delighted and honored to be in the presence of an amazing man, an amazing father, an amazing dedicated person to the vision and to light and so much respect for this man that we have here in front of us today, Freeman Michaels. Please introduce yourself, tell people where you're from and a little bit of your background, a little bit of who you are. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a father uh, and a husband. Uh, those are priorities of mine. Uh, I'm a transformational leader. I've committed my life to um, doing work around, you know, my own growth and, you know, the growth of folks around me. And um, everything informs that. Everything I've ever been is, you know, come to this moment in time and what I'm stepping into and what is emerging. I love the title of today's, you know, talk, this idea of race, religion, and relevance. Um, yeah, it's a really good time to have conversations. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Conversations we haven't had before, you know? So that's part of what I wanna just start with is there's a unfolding that whatever knowledge and experience I have is cool, but there's something emerging that we can't quite know what it is yet, right? Yeah, so that's it. I grew up in San Francisco. I was born in 1967, summer of love, actually fall of love, um, and uh, went through the whole, you know, very uh, interesting childhood growing up in, in the avenues on the bay side of Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, and then moving down to LA and doing my thing down here for 25 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I know that this is a very sensitive topic. I know that yeah. this is something that um, really people get very emotional about where do you think the emotion all the, the emotion the visceral good bad ugly passion wh where does that come from when we talk pain. about pain yeah it's a it's a it's pain i mean you know the the past is painful to look at you know how we got here is painful and you know to look at where we are even for all of the ways that um, racism is still really relevant and, and not relevant, it's pertinent. What's relevant is the kids on the streets uh, and the young people saying, this is not the world that we're wanting. And that even if we've inherited it, we want to change it. That's what's beautiful and relevant. Um, the fact that, you know, we're handing our children this world where, you know, um, black boys specifically have to be scared. Uh, on the street, scared of the police, scared of being, you know, killed, is um, is crazy, you know. Yeah. Right, and and this is something that you know we had a chance to talk about privately um, in, in a past conversation. But I really want our viewers to to hear this. And the, the question I have for you is, what is what is your from coming from a white male's perspective? What is your view? on white privilege. What, what does that word mean to you? What does it meant? What has it meant to you? And what does it mean to you now? Well, it's, I've grown so much in my understanding of it. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Um, 
I've been married twice. My first wife was of African-American descent. I always say I didn't marry a black woman. I married a woman who happened to be black, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't her blackness I fell in love with. It was the fact that she and I fell in love and that she was black wasn't wasn't um, an obstacle necessarily. Well, it might have been an obstacle in lots of ways. You know, my 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 grandmother didn't show up to my wedding. So, uh, yeah. That's real. Well, you can't know that's going to happen. You can't know the things that are going to happen when you make this choice, you know. Um, and then and then that marriage didn't work out, but I've been with my current wife for 20 years, married for 18, uh, who's Mexican-American. And so there's a lot of really interesting ways that I've discovered through her experience some things I couldn't see previously, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you when you hear people saying the word white privilege, white privilege, white privilege, was that something that you ever thought that you had? Is that something that you ever acknowledged? Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a white male living in this country. I'm privileged. Or is that something that you have come to understand over time? Probably both. I mean, you know, so I'll give some examples, you know, um, it's kind of a joke with my wife. She'll say, you know, right now the joke is go use your white privilege. So if I have to return an item or something, I mean, one of the really devastating moments, we had only been married for maybe a short amount of time. And my wife had received this really beautiful piece of jewelry. It was a David Yerman. It was worth like, I don't know, $800 or something. And, but it had a gift receipt and it was from a a doctor she worked for. And we were at the mall and she said, I'm going to go return this. I want to buy some boots and I'll bet I have enough with this. She didn't know what it was worth to buy those boots. Um, and I was like, yeah, you go, I'm going to go, you know, do something else. I'll meet you. And, you know, so she went off to, to Bloomingdale's, uh, and she called me a short while later and I said, what's up? And she said, you, you got to come down here. So I did, and I didn't really know what was going on, but I arrived and whatever was happening kind of shifted and they, um, gave her a gift card and we left, but she was upset. So I said, hey, aren't you gonna get your boots? You know what's going on? She said, no, we gotta go home. So what had happened is they had questioned if this brown girl um, could have a could have been given this gift, this $800 piece of jewelry. They, they thought she stole it essentially. Yeah, and I didn't really understand totally till we got to the car, then I wanted to go back and talk to the manager and blah, 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 and she said, no, I wanna go home. You know. And the fact that I showed up, her white husband, and immediately, oh, sorry, we made a mistake or whatever it was, you know, okay, here's your gift card. Um, Those kinds of things, little things like that, that I couldn't see before because they didn't happen to me, Right. right? That's the thing about privilege. Privilege isn't something that happens to you. It's what doesn't happen to you. Oh, that's, right? big. that's big. Yeah. So you can't see it, you know, and, and what I'm hearing so much of right now in a pushback, you know, is uh, I, I worked really hard for something, you know, I've worked really hard for this. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm so watching, you know, all of the uh, history lessons we're getting on redlining and things like this that I didn't know about. Right. Um, and uh, I, it isn't that I didn't know about it. You know, I, I, I did kind of know about it, right. you know. Um, the, the, the excuse is, or the story is, you know, I, I did, I'm not from a, a lineage that ever owned slaves. You know, I, that didn't, I wouldn't have been part of that. Um, so in some way, then I'm not responsible, right? Right. Um, that's crazy that this right. cultural paradigm exists and that it's perpetuated is um, is all of our responsibility, you know, but it's hard when you don't see you, it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are going through 
that very thing right now, or they haven't seen something their whole life, and now all of a sudden people are coming at them very aggressively, by the way, uh, over some, something that they never really put any attention to their whole entire life and something that their parents haven't put any attention to their whole entire life. And, and I guess that would be the crux of it. What, what would you say to somebody, because I think for the first time in the history of our country, that the white man is in the hot seat, right? <laughs> and so what would you say to, uh, you know, somebody who is a white male or is a white female and just kind of just, they're fed up. Maybe they might be fed up. Maybe they might be in a position where they're like, I don't know what to do. If I stay quiet, they say my silence is betrayal. If I say something or I give them, state my opinion, I get attacked for stating my opinion. I don't know how to be in this moment right now. What, what would you say to people who feel that anxiety and that angst and, it, um, it, and feel that? Yeah. So it's not about you. It's a moment to be uncomfortable. It's a moment to learn. Um, it's a moment to be compassionate. Um, you know, this just happened the other day. I was at uh, the grocery store and this black woman started like kind of yelling at this guy. And I saw he was in a uniform and I thought he was the security guard at the store. Yeah. Um, I got closer. It turns out he worked for, uh, he was the parking enforcement guy. Wow. He was in the uniform. And she was yelling at him that he was following her around. And at first he was like, you know, kind of barking back at her. And then, and she just kept going off and he's like, you know, saying whatever he's saying. And I could see, oh, wait a minute, that guy is not the security guard. He's parking enforcement. He's probably just shopping. And so I kind of intervened. I said, dude, just, it's okay. It's okay. This is a moment time where people are really pissed off. I know you're not following her, but I'm positive a lot of people have, and it just boiled over on you. Wow. He was great about it too. He's like, okay, cool. Sorry. He was a Latino dude. So, you know, he, he handled it. Uh, and for the first moment, it wasn't. He was about to go at her, right? They were like, rah, 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 you know, um, and he was starting to call her names and I don't know. But so, you know, we all need to be compassionate. This is boiling over because it's time and it's going to be messy. And, and, you know, here's one of the things, this term microaggression, the shit people say, even <laughs> well-meaning people say stuff, you know, uh, I say stuff that is insensitive, you know, and so... Um, and it's insensitive for lots of reasons that, again, just like white privilege, we didn't know before, right? There's a premise in our culture, white supremacy, white superiority, whatever you want to call it, a white standard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So like telling people they're articulate is not helpful. Um, it's a slight. It's, a, it's not meant to be or trying right. to help someone conform to a standard. You know, let me help you out in business. You know, maybe you should, you know, take those braids out or do something. And, and, right. and that's... It's microaggressions. And, and so, again, well-meaning people who didn't know better, and now they feel like it's coming back at them, and they feel really uncomfortable. And here's the crazy part. And we, and we can feel uncomfortable. It's okay. You know, we're talking about 400 years of brutality. We can feel uncomfortable for a moment or two. Okay. We can... We can um, Weather the storm. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we can be a, a better, um, I don't know what we should be, better listeners, better learners. You know, every day I've been posting something about right. black history, something right. that maybe I didn't know. I actually took a, a then it was called Afro-American history in college. Right. I took a class. Um, and so I kind of knew a lot of things that maybe folks didn't know. Um, but again, I, I think I selectively 
Well, I don't know what to do with it. I never knew what to do with it at the time either, to be right. honest with you. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, now's I, I, the time to do something with it. It is, absolutely. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. I, I guess for me, um, and I've always known you to be a, a very spiritually enlightened dude. And for me, I, I'm just wondering, you know, because something that seems to be awfully quiet in all this is the church is the churches is spirituality is and that's something that i've been trying to infuse more in my platform because i personally believe that it's it's the great equalizer right it's it's the one place that we can all go and we're literally all on the playing field same you know and um race has found its way to infiltrate religion um and influence religion right because in religion is the mixture of culture and spirituality right so that culture part is impacted by religion what, what are your thoughts on religion in all of this so i'm gonna peel back for a moment and there's a in my work there is something that is overarching with all of that um and it has to do with a power paradigm um for me in my work there's two paradigms the prevailing paradigm has been power over and this is about dominating manipulating controlling um you know uh that kind of power what's emergent is what i call power with which is i've become powerful by empowering other people it's my network of goodwill that gives me power and that's an emergent paradigm it's happening with the internet literally it's your network right and and so but there's so many other reflections where um we're seeing reflected back uh, a different paradigm. So religion, unfortunately, is often about control. So I was educated by the Jesuits, right? And the Jesuits are part of the Catholic Church, but they have a theology that actually kind of is different than most of Catholic theology. There's a big piece about social justice, a big piece about restorative justice, which, by the way, is where the I don't even want to call it the justice system because we all know that's bullshit, right. but let's call it that because that's what it's called. The justice system has to go the direction of restorative justice. We actually are going to have to do a lot to unwind uh, all these people put in prison for low level drug offenses. Like it's an epidemic and it's, so it's not just policing that needs to be reformed. It has to, we have to reimagine public safety. We have to reimagine, um, criminal justice, we have to reimagine religion because there's still hierarchy in most religious traditions and the hierarchy is a power over paradigm. And so democracy in its theory is a flattening of that. It's where everyone has a say and everyone has power. Um, and, and that allows in the mystery, that allows in the good stuff that spirituality brings, that we can discover and learn and grow. And so that's what's changing in the world as I see it. That's the, that's the imperative here. That's what relevance is, right? Yeah. So much religion is not relevant to people in their lives today, wow. right? Because it's gripping on to a way that people did things in the past, and that's where their power lies. Um, the white male's in trouble. There's a, there's a real problem. The, idea, wow. the relevance of the white male's in, in trouble. There's a book called uh, The End of Men. It's written by Hannah, Hannah Rosen. It's an unfortunate title because it's really an important book, but it is about how um, this kind of mentality 
of power over dominance and submission is just not a great operating system. It's not a great way. Things are changing so fast. We need to be able to innovate and create. Um, diversity is really good for what we call collaborative models of leadership, where you're drawing in ideas from lots of different uh, places. And that's how you stay relevant, right? And so, you know, five white guys in a room trying to make decisions for a company when they're completely out of touch with the marketplace because it's diverse and they're not, they're going to make the wrong choices. You know, so there's a dollar figure at the end of this. This shit, forgive my language, doesn't work. It doesn't work on lots of levels. I mean, I hate to reduce it down to making money, but for some people, that's the language they speak, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Part you of said, my, go, go ahead. Well, you said something very powerful when you said that religion right now is not working because it's not relevant to people's day-to-day -day lives. In other words, for some reason, there's a, there's a disconnect between what people are learning in their churches and their religion and, and their faith and what they're having to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And we see that, and it's evidenced by the visceral that's coming out of people in these times. It seems to me that in times like this, where you would be holding on to a deity or holding on to some type of uplifting, positive, getting to your higher self force, it, it now would be the time. And it, and it doesn't seem to be that that's happening on a mass level. And I guess I'm just curious as to, to say, how is that relevant? How is your handling of race, your handling of relationships, your handling with how you deal with people in a spiritual sense, how is that relevant? So Jeff Brown, who's an author, he wrote the book Soul Shaping, which is one of my favorite books. He has a term, he calls it in real men. He mm. says, forget about enlightenment. I'm interested in real men. That's my spirituality. So that's, that's what I would put my finger on, mm. is that a lot of spirituality is been to make us feel better right? It's to get above things in a particular way. You know, this too shall pass and all these little nice sayings that take us out of the challenges that we're facing in our lives. And, and it isn't to say that we want to um, kind of go into victim consciousness. We don't want to do that, but we also don't want to do a spiritual bypass. You know, we don't want to just go, oh, everything's all right. Well, it's not all right, right? And so how do we want to be with the not all right? And, and can we, you know, the, the spiritual principle that what I do to the least of my brothers, I do to myself. I mean, that's the unity principle, right? Mm -hmm. You can say I do it, uh, in, it's, that's Christian tradition. So Jesus would say, what you do to the least of your, your, my brothers, you do to me. Yeah. What I would say is what I do to the least of my brothers, I do to myself. Because the unity principle is there's only one of us here. So, um, and it isn't just the human people. It's the planet, too, is that we're interdependent. And so that's what we have to wake up to. We've got this whole idea that there's an us and there's a, you know, us and them, or me and, and someone else. On some level, that is fundamentally not true. We're all linked. That's the quantum principle, right? It's all energy. It's all moving. It's all a big soup. And right. we're in it. You know? and, some might, and some might say that that's evidence um, with whole COVID-19. I mean, totally. it's like we're all inside social distancing, wearing masks, doing all the same crazy stuff, dealing with the same issues, the same challenges, doesn't matter what your economic background is or not, like we're all in that same boat. And I think it was just that one time that 
you know, the almighty God, whatever you want to call it. It's a perfect storm. Michael Beckwith said the other day that this is a, uh, uh, a great, I don't remember the exact language, but it's a moment. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an inflection point. Everything is breaking down. You know, all these systems are breaking down because they don't work. It's again, that whole idea of power that I have power over someone. That's just such a bad idea, you know? Um, and, 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 and so, you know, dismantling the hierarchy and humanizing and moving out of the disintegrated masculine, you know, Trump is such a disintegrated masculine, Boris Johnson, such a, just the guy in, in uh, um, Brazil, these macho assholes, <laughs> the woman in New Zealand, you know, is compassionate. She's loving. She cares about everything. She wants to do what's in the greatest good. That's the rising feminine, which the masculine plays an important role in. It's not the, the integrated masculine is a beautiful thing. It's will and action. It's the ability. It's, it's the, there's a nobility in, in the masculine that's beautiful when it's balanced. But wow. we've got a disintegrated masculine. We've got this kind of toxic masculinity. That's what white supremacy is. It's toxic masculinity. Truth be told. Wow. That's wow. all. Right? It's wow. the desire to dominate and manipulate and control. There's always an us and them in that mindset. Right? Wow. Wow. So I, something's something's breaking down. The kids want a different world. Uh, the, the 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 world that's emerging is their world. You know, I I I have this thing, this thing that I try to figure out sometimes when I get lost. I hand it to my fourteen year old daughter, right, or I hand it to my you know sixteen year old son. And say, hey, I you know, and they figure it out. It's their world. I'm just living in it, and and it keeps going that way. They 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 are tuned in a particular way. My son's sending me TikToks now because he goes, yeah, check this out uh and also the stuff he's sending me is really poignant it's really right on so he's tapped in big time i'll tell you a little funny story about his school his school is called larchmont charter and it's diverse by design okay so it's not just ethnically diverse it is that but it's also socioeconomically diverse and it's a crazy amazing school um but about the reason he ended up there is about six years ago do you know joshua silverstein the beatboxer guy now, okay. Um, his dad was at Agape for a long time. Uh, anyhow, it doesn't matter. He uh, asked me if I would judge a poetry slam, a high school poetry slam. I was like, yeah, whatever. Sounds interesting. So I went down to the California Theater Center, and there are all these buses. And I'm like, there's like hundreds of kids here. How many kids are competing? Well, it turns out, I think there was 50 kids competing. Those were Reuter buses. I'm like, rooter buses for the poetry team? Like, I went to a high school where we went to the, you know, state championships, and there were rooter buses for the football team or the basketball team or whatever, but for the poetry team? Anyhow, I'm very proud. They won the Get Lit Poetry Slam. His uh, school did this past year. They've been in the final several years in a row, but this last year they won it. And the poetry is so relevant. You know, it's, it, it, and I'll tell you about the first time I judged. That, the day I went and judged, uh, there were four teams competing. One was from um, Harvard-Westlake, and one was from a, a school called John Wooden Continuation School. So these are kids that dropped out of school, essentially. Uh, and those were the two best teams. There were four teams. I can't remember the other two were. But at the end, I didn't know which one had the highest score. Um, anyhow, that's, I, so I walked out and I said, you know, art is the great equalizer. You know, um, Anyhow, yeah. that was it. Yeah. yeah, and you know what's so funny is I remember you put me on to that. I don't know if you remember this, but I actually became one of the judges, and I went to one, and I judged one. Yeah. How amazing yeah. is that? Oh, man, years Dude. ago. 
years ago. It's crazy. It's so beautiful. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. And, and, and I think that was the, the, the natural transi- transition of this when we ca- talk about relevance is, what's the relevance on the impact that it's having on our youth? Because we have a different brand of younger people that are yes. ushering in, in this new system. What's going on? Yeah. Well, okay. So one of the things you and I have spoken about is uh, about three months ago, maybe four months ago, I took a bias assessment. So I work, my company works with um, a company that does bias assessments and they said, you know, maybe you should take the test. And so I did. And it's a, it's a click right, click left test. So basically they're firing questions at you and you have to answer really quick. And if you stall too long or you get the answer wrong, it kind of computes that. At the end, it spits out your biases. So I showed up as biased towards women and biased towards black people. And I didn't like that. Like not even, like it was really upsetting for me. I had to go take a nap. Uh, and, and what I've come to recognize, I call this first thought, second thought. So that's, your first thought is not your thought. It's your programming. It's what you're taught about yourself, about who you are, what's possible, how the world works. And we're all sort of programmed or conditioned to believe stuff that we can know isn't true, but it's still our first thought. So like if you tell a white girl that she shouldn't be scared of that black man, you know, walking towards her on the street or something, she can say, yeah, I get it. That's her second thought, but she still might be scared of him, not because she wants to be, but because she was conditioned to believe that, right? So all I can tell you is my, and my dad's like 80 years old and I love him, but he says shit sometimes. I'm like, oh, dad. And so my kids do the same to me. They're like, dad. And so they're, they're helping me all the time figure out where I'm at in the world. Cause again, it's their world. The difference between my kids' generation and me and, and my father's generation is my father thought he had to teach me the way the world works. Right now I'm aware that it, it doesn't mean the information is not, not being passed down from me to my kids, but it's being passed up simultaneously right? That's what's changed. Because before the world moved kind of slow, my dad could say, this is how you drive a car, son. We're going to start with a stick shift because, you know, that's important. You got to know how to do that. And for most of my life, it's good I learned on a stick shift. My kids will never have to do that. I don't even know if they'll even have to learn to drive. The truth is the car is probably going to drive them, you know, and they're going to teach me how that whole system works anyhow. So, I mean, like, what? How is that possible? Like I said, if this thing isn't working, I give it to my kids and they go, here, dad, look, here's how you figure it out. So again, it's a, it's a brave new world. So I just have a sense that these, a lot of these young people coming in aren't coming in with the same condition beliefs. I, th- I hope that's true. I believe it's true. I don't have a test to just to say that's true, but I, you know, I don't know if there's data on it. But you know, I wonder if my kids took that test. I should probably work out that they do the test. I'd be curious how they come out. I'm almost positive they're going to come out more neutral. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, even in that whole point of it's a two, it's like a bi-directional interface and we're not just giving to them. They're giving to us at the same time. And I see that and I feel that. And they're teaching us a lot, even with some of the most recent innovative ways that they're protesting. It's like, how did you even think about that? How did you even come up with that strategy? And the passion. So if you look at the passion, the protests where there were white people who were very important for the protest in the sixties, um, they were very important, but they were different. Their, their vested interest was to sort of stand alongside black people and support them. These kids are all in. It's their protest. You don't, they're, not, they're in it because it's, the, it's the, what they're fighting against, and it's very personalized. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
It's not like they're, they're, they're generous, kind people who see the problem with inequality, which was fine and great for 1968. Today, these young people are like, no, this is bullshit. This yeah. is not okay for me, right. you know? Um, wow, because yeah. that's different. And it's yeah. different. It's no longer a, a black people versus white people. Now it's us against racist people. Exactly. Uh, and racist ideals. Even. Exactly. Because you know, sometimes, like you, like to what you mentioned, sometimes racism lives within the personalities of people, but the people within themselves fundamentally want to change. And they yeah, don't it's just programming. How. We've been programmed to believe a lie. We know it's a lie. I mean, I, the, the thing is that some people don't, and that's a problem. And, and the other thing is... Um, so as a white man to say, oh yeah, white men are less and less relevant. Uh, I'm okay with that, but a lot of folks aren't, you know? And so you're going to have, you know, Donald Trump who is, you know, make America great again. You know, we want to go back, you know, we want to undo some of the progress so that, you know, uh, he feels more comfortable and the people that align with him feel more comfortable. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy moment in time. Man, Freeman, give me a word, man. If there's anything that people can take away from you and your experience in life and even your perspective, your fresh perspective, one that we don't get really often, getting a, a white male to sit down and just express freely when it comes to this, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, what is one thing that you want people to know and what do you want people to take away from all of so it? So I think it's a phrase. And the phrase is, I don't know. And, and this is not a helpless I don't know. It's an empowered I don't know. It's an I don't know, but I'm willing to find out, you know? So, you know, I don't know. I have a faith that all of this is good. You know, I think we share that. That as painful as this is, as scary as this is, because it's scary, you know? Um, it's so good it's getting out there. And so I think for a lot of us older folks to say, I don't know, so that then something, it creates the space for something new to, to come in, right? And then to really look to young people as to what world is it that they want to create? Because I know it's not this world, right? And, and, and so what is it? What matters to them? And if I can orient towards what matters to them, and stop imposing all the limitations of the world that I came up in. You know, I want to clip those limitations. They don't work for me. I've clipped a lot of them, but I'm embarrassed as to how many still, you know, show up in my consciousness and show up in my experience, you know? Yeah. So I don't know is the phrase. I don't know. Yeah, that's good. I don't know. That's we'll really see. good. That's really good. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your insight. I always value your insight. I think you're a very powerful, wise dude. I always love learning from you. I always love watching you. And I'm always rooting for you uh, from a distance, man. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep empowering people and, and keep being refreshingly honest. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that people will admire about you the most. I know I do. You're just refreshingly honest. You know, you don't try to look good you don't try to say the right thing you just say what's real and I, I really appreciate that I'm willing to risk being real that's a that's a true statement it, you know as much as it's look I do want everyone to like me but I'm willing to risk that right and, and, and in terms of you you and I are on the same team 
So whatever you're up to, I'm in, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, just let me know. And, and same thing, if I've got something I can pull you into. I love it, man. I'm here 100%, man. I support you, brother. Thank you so awesome. much for your time. Thank you.